You know, I want to invite you to an event that Urban Impact's going to be having, having, having on March, no, that's not true, May 16th. We're going to be down on the north side of Pittsburgh, and the name of the event is called Arts Night. And the Arts Night is all about uh, the children will be singing again. We're going to have the middle school, high school choir, who you haven't seen or heard from in about a year. They're, they're fantastic as well. The night's going to be filled with music and art and drama, and, it, and I'm going to present the gospel. So I want to encourage you to come. I know it's a long way away, but May 16th, on the north side of Pittsburgh, bring family and friends, and let's have a great night. You know, I'm so thankful for the partnership that we have in the gospel here at Christ Church and with Urban Impact. We've been having this partnership now almost 14 years, and I'm so thankful for how you have, yes, how you have supported and prayed and given and all that happens in the cafe. I just can't tell you how thankful I am and the privilege I have today to open up the Word of God to all of you. We're going to continue in a series. Well, it's not a continue. It's a this is the first day of a starting of a new series called Seeking Deeper Intimacy with God. And it's a study in the Lord's Prayer. And let's do that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask right now that you, you would be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. That you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And you would be the speaker. And you would speak to your people. And you wouldn't allow us just to be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Jesus is standing on a hillside, and he's preaching a sermon in front of thousands of people. It's a very famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it goes from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7. And right smack in the middle, in uh, in our passage, in in Matthew chapter 6, we find the most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at specifically verse 9 today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where it says, Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. You know, everything that Jesus said was absolutely important. But what he didn't say was important as well. Let me explain. He doesn't say anything about the posture of prayer. He doesn't tell the people that they are to stand or sit or bow or, or stand. He doesn't say anything about the posture of prayer. You know, when you look in the Bible, you find people standing and sitting and bowing You find people standing with their hands in the air, praying with their eyes open, with their eyes closed. You find people pounding their breasts. You see, Jesus wasn't concerned about the position or the posture of prayer. He just was concerned that people prayed. That was the point. Second thing that we find that he doesn't say that we can learn something from is this. That he he was talking about the fact that we are to pray anywhere. He wasn't concerned about when people prayed. He was saying that we can pray anywhere, any place. He wasn't telling the people to go to the synagogue to pray. He wasn't telling the people to find some holy mountain to pray. 
He was telling people, pray anywhere. When you look in the Bible, you find people praying in a battle, in a cave, in a garden. You find people praying in God's house, in bed, in prison, even in a fish. You find Jesus praying on a cross. You see, Jesus doesn't name a specific place for us to pray because he wants us to know that we can pray anywhere. But not only anywhere, but anytime. The third thing we learn from this is that Jesus doesn't talk about the times that we're to pray. The priests taught that they are to pray three times a day. But Jesus doesn't give any kind of specific time for prayer ever in the Gospels. Why? Because Jesus wanted us to know that we are to pray always at all times. The Apostle Paul said this. He said we are to pray without ceasing. At all times. Any place, anywhere, anytime, in any circumstance, we are to pray. You've got to remember that Jesus was trying to blow up any kind of notion that prayer was some kind of religious exercise or activity. And what Jesus was trying to drive home right here is that we are to pray all the time, intimately have a conversation with God any moment, in any place, in any time. He was talking about having a conversation with God throughout the day. Now those are three things that we can learn from what he didn't say. Now let's learn from what he did say. Again, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Our Father who art in heaven. Now let me stop for a moment and say this. Is, is Jesus saying here when he says, Our Father, is he saying God is everybody's Father? Yes, it's true that God created everybody and that he loves everybody. And he wants everybody to be in his family, but you can only be in his family if you choose to be. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 with me. It says, do we not all have one father? Has not one God created us? Yes, God has created us. And in that one sense, yes, God the Father, or we are we are created by God, and therefore God is the Father of us all. But Jesus goes on and says, and makes it very clear, that we are not all part of God's family. When he was addressing the religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says this to the Pharisees. He says, you are of your father, the devil. The Apostle Paul comes back later and makes a distinction between the children of light and the children of darkness. So it's clear that there is not one big family, if you will, under the universal fatherhood of God. That's what the liberals teach, but that's not what the Bible teaches. No, the privilege of us calling God our Father, or anyone calling God our Father, is the only people who can do that. It only belongs to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Look what it says in John chapter 1, verse 12. And it makes it very clear for us here. But as many as received him, and who's him? Jesus Christ. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Yes, we are all created by God, 
but we only become children of God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because the Bible says that all of us have sinned. And when we sinned, we were alienated from God. We were separated from God. But the Bible says, For God so loved us that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came. He died on the cross for our sins. The Father raised him from the dead. And anybody who transfers their trust from themselves to Jesus Christ, in that moment, Jesus now brings you into the family of God, reunites you with with God the Father because he removes your sin so that you can be reconciled with God and you are part of the family of God. The only way that you can get back into a right relationship with God is through his son, and that is done by faith. So yes, we're created by God, but we only become a child of God once we put our faith in Jesus Christ. With that being said, I just want to move on and talk about two things that we learn from here when when Jesus says, Our Father. I'm just looking at those two words today, our Father. The Jewish people in Jesus' day understood something about the fatherhood, the fatherhood of God. There's no doubt about that. They understood that God was a father, but more of in a, na- in a, national, in a national sense, not in a personal sense. God was seen as Israel's father, but he wasn't their father. Why do I say that? In the Old Testament, only seven times is God referenced as a father. Only seven times in the Old Testament. Now remember, the Old Testament was written over a thousand years. So in a thousand years, there was only seven references of God being a father. So the people of Israel just didn't think about God being a father, and especially not their father. They thought of him as being the creator, the almighty God, the sovereign Lord, and on and on and on. And they thought of God being the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the national father of their country, but not their father. That was unheard of. And then Jesus comes along. And he's standing on on the mountainside, and he's preaching to thousands of people, and he's preaching that famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, his teachings were revolutionary. I mean, his teachings flew right in the face of the religious legalism of the day, and he was absolutely challenging the worldview of the people who were listening. And during this mind-blowing teaching, one of his disciples says this, If God wants us to live the way you're teaching us, then please, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus responds. And he responds in two remarkable ways. He responds in language and word. First, he he responds to them in in a certain language, and then he responds with certain words. And that's how we're going to look at it today. Language and words. Let's look, first of all, at the language he uses. You see, in the days of Christ... When they would have went to the synagogue to worship, that would have been their church, like we're in church today. When they would have went there, the, the Pharisees would have stood up with the Bible and they would have read in the Old Testament in Hebrew. They would have used the Hebrew language to read the Word of God. And then when they would have recited prayers, they would have prayed predominantly in the Hebrew language. And that would have been their worship service in Hebrew. But the common language of the day, 
the language that they used every day, out on the street, talking, having coffee together, whatever you're doing, would have been Aramaic. That was the common language of the day. That's the way they spoke to one another. Not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic. Let me give you an example. Years ago, here in America, when people would have went to the Catholic Church, went to Mass, the priest would have stood up and he would have read the Bible in Latin. And he would have recited prayers in Latin. But the common language in North America, in the United States, was English. So that when they went to the Mass, they didn't understand or have a clue about what the priest was talking about because they didn't understand Latin. They didn't understand the words. Well, it was the same way in Jesus' day. Scholars believe that the disciples of Jesus Christ didn't know how to speak Hebrew. They had no clue. So when they went to church, they were talking, or the synagogue, they would all be talking in Hebrew, but in everyday language, their language was Aramaic. But when Jesus shows up, when he's standing on the hillside preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's not preaching in Hebrew. He's preaching in Aramaic. He's talking their common language. One of the reasons why he had unbelievable people following him is because they could understand him. He was speaking their language. So he's standing there on the hillside preaching to thousands and thousands of people because he's speaking their language. And this is what's amazing, is that when he's speaking, they're sitting there without a doubt, they're sitting there saying to themselves, wow, we can understand him. He's talking our language. But when finally someone says to him, Okay, is this how we're supposed to live then? Jesus, tell us how to pray. And they had every expectation. They were anticipating Jesus from stop talking their language and that he would start speaking in Hebrew because that's how they were trained in church. They were supposed to... Hebrew is how you talk to God. But he doesn't. He just keeps on going on speaking in Aramaic. And that blew their mind. That was absolutely revolutionary. Because you know what they were thinking? They were thinking in their minds, wow, he's not only preaching to us so that we can understand, but he's using our very language to talk to God. So maybe in the first time in their life, they started thinking to themselves that they didn't need the high priest or the priest to talk to God on their behalf, that they themselves could talk to God. And they could talk to God in their language. And the God of the universe, the Heavenly Father, would hear their prayers. Can you, do you get this? Do you imagine that? You thought you could never talk to God. That you had to go through someone else to speak to him. And all of a sudden it's like eye-opening. Jesus is saying to them, no, you can talk to God. You see, Jesus was trying to blow up, destroy every and any notion that prayer was some type of religious exercise or activity. He was trying to teach the people that they were able just to talk and have a conversation with their Heavenly Father, no matter where they were, what they were doing, all day long, that they could have an intimate conversation with God. Amen? That's the first way that he responds. The second remarkable response is this that he responds in his, with words. Now, the word I want to look at this morning is Father. Our Father, yes, but Father. Now, understanding, he wasn't speaking Hebrew here. He continued to speak Aramaic, so what is the word he's using in the Aramaic? 
The word is Abba, or Abba. What does that mean? Well, this week I went around, went around talking to moms and dads, and I said, what was the first word that your children said when they first started speaking? 100% of the people said, Dada. That's exactly what that word means. Abba, Abba, means daddy. What Jesus was saying to those people, he was saying, when you talk to him, God the Father, you, you're talking to your daddy. You just say, good morning, daddy. You, you're speaking to your dad. He used the most intimate language that's possible to describe your father. He said, Daddy. I thought about that all week long. Jesus was trying to help them to understand that they can have a conversation with their loving father. Matter of fact, he uses that term 70 times in the New Testament. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't say, oh, magnificent, holy, sovereign, wonderful father. No, he said, hey, daddy, take this cup from me. I'm not saying that God is not our holy, magnificent, other, one that we're to be obedient to. Yes, that's who God is, for sure. But he's also very personal with each and every one of us. He's our daddy. You know, today... When you take that term father in our world today and you say father or daddy or dad, that has a, a positive and a negative impact. Those of us who've had a great relationship with our father, we can say our father and that's positive. But there are those of us in this room that we didn't have a very good experience with our father and we, when we bring up that that term father or daddy, that's, that's a negative. There's, there's baggage behind that word. There's, there's bad experiences. There's bad memories that are found in our hearts and our minds when we say our father. And with a lot of people in America today, when you say the word dad or daddy, there, are, there aren't even any memories. They don't have any memories. Do you know one out of three Children in America are born out of wedlock. In other words, they don't know who their father is and they don't live with their father. One out of three children in America today. 29% of Caucasian children born in America are born out of wedlock. 54% Hispanic, 71% African American children are born and they don't know who their father is and they don't live with their father. They tell me that over 25 million children in America are growing up and they don't know who their father is and they're not living with them. When you walk up to those children and you say to them, or those, those adults today, and you say, our father, that term, there's no memories. They're saying, father, what do you mean? I don't know my father. And he didn't want me and I don't care if I ever meet him. And, and when you're telling me about a heavenly father... Why would he want me? My earthly father didn't want me. There's a lot of baggage behind those words, or that word. Positive and negative. You know, that's why Urban Impact Foundation is starting, or has started, uh, an event called Man Up Pittsburgh. You know why? Because it's an epidemic in America. 
and the impact that it's having on our country and on our city and your neighborhood and mine is this, that 90% of children today, let me read these, 90% of children who run away from home are from, are from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state institution, fatherless homes. 80% of rapists, 63% of youth suicides, 71% of teenage pregnancies, 71% of high school dropouts, and it just goes on and on and on and on of the devastation in our country among children and youth because they didn't have a father. I believe, personally, that the number one problem in America is fatherlessness. That is the cause of all these other ills that we are having today and we find in our society. That's why Urban Impact Foundation has started this thing called Man Up Pittsburgh. Coach Tomlin and myself are taking this issue on here in our city. And we brought Tony Evans, who will be one of our speakers. We brought together the best 10, I believe, preachers in the tri-state area. It's going to happen on June 7th up at Orchard Hill. And I'm encouraging you to come. Anybody from 16 years old and up, come. Hear about how you can be a man, a godly man, a godly father, somebody who can help solve and change the situation in our country with fatherlessness. In other words, a lot of you are saying, well, I'm not fatherless. I, my kids are doing well. Well, I find that's not true. I find it in my life, this to be true that our culture is changing so rapidly, so fast, that I have a difficult type time navigating my children through that. I am telling you, men, we need to come to this event. It's going to be some of the best training, best teaching, helping you to be a godly man. We're not going to beat you up. We're going to build you up. We're going to strengthen you so you can be the best grandfather, the best father that you can ever be. And we're going to help every kid who doesn't have a dad or doesn't have a good picture of a father to get a good picture. Men sharpening men. Come to that event. It's going to be June 7th. Don't miss it. So whether good or bad, human fathers color how we see God the Father. The danger of this is that we are tempted to create God out of our personal experiences rather than letting God's word Tell us who the Father is. And what does the Bible, what does the Bible tell us about the Father? You know, when my wife was first pregnant with our first son, Nathan, I was really nervous about being a father. My mom and dad split up when I was three years old. My mother remarried an atheist. I didn't have a good example of a father in my life. But then I came to know Christ when I was 22 years old. And then I got married, and then through that process, I began to pray. I was nervous, and I prayed to God. I said, God, how will I know? Will you help me? Who am I supposed to follow? What model should I look at when I am trying to be a godly father? And this is what he said to me. In John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip asked the same question. Philip said in verse 8 to him, the Lord Jesus, show us the father. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And what Jesus said to me right then is this. 
You might have had some bad experiences, Ed. Okay, forget them. But you keep your eyes on me. You fix on me, and I will show you how to be a godly father. You just follow my example. You'll not only be a godly father, but a godly man, a godly husband. And our example that we are all to follow, whether you're a mother, a woman, a child, a, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, we're to follow after Jesus Christ, for he's our example. So there's no more excuses. You can't say, I didn't have a good father. I didn't have... So what? You just look at Jesus Christ. We're all born again of the Spirit. He's our example. We follow him. And I'll tell you what, things work out. You follow after Jesus Christ. He's the perfect example of how we're to live our lives. Matter of fact, Jesus gave us some unbelievable pictures of who the Father is. We just spent weeks studying the prodigal son, did we not? And there in that wonderful parable, Jesus is giving us pictures of who the Heavenly Father is. You see, Jesus showed up, and when he showed up, he became the visual and verbal expression of the invisible Father. He came to communicate and demonstrate who the Father was like and what he said. So he said, watch me, you'll see the Father. But he not only demonstrated in his own life, but he communicated who the Father was through stories and through different examples. Matter of fact, I just told you that he spoke of the Father 70 different times in the New Testament. And one of those times was right in the middle of the prodigal son story. And what do we see about who the Father was there? We saw a Father who extends extravagant grace, love, and mercy for who? For those of us who have sinned. And when the son comes home, is the father standing there with his arms crossed, saying, I told you so? Does he have a finger out, stick it in the, in the young man's face? No, we have a picture of a father, our daddy, running to that person. And does he have his arms closed? And he has his arms wide open. He embraces that young man, holds him to his chest, throws a party, and includes him right into the family of God. And didn't Jesus do the same thing when we were his enemies, Christ died for us? When you look at that cross, is Jesus' arms crossed on you? Is he pointing a finger in your face? No, his arms are wide open. When you come to Christ, he doesn't throw you under the bus. He doesn't throw you to the curb. He comes and he embraces you. He forgives you. He restores you. He redeems you. He delivers you. He shows mercy and grace and love and extends. That's your dad. When you say, our father, you're saying, our daddy who loves you, cares for you, wants to forgive you, waiting for you to embrace you because he created you, yes, but also because you've named the name of Christ and you are his child and he loves to see you and embrace you every day. That's who we're talking about when we talk about the daddy, our daddy who's in heaven. You know, I've been in ministry close to 30 years. And I have people come to me, and if I've heard this once, I've heard it a thousand times. Does God care? Does God care? Pastor Ed, does God care about my marriage? Does God care about the little money that I have in the bank? Does he care that I can't make my house payment this month? Does he care about how my kids are struggling? Does he care that I can't find a job? Does he care about my health? Did he, does he care about my dating life? Does he care that my face breaks out? Yeah. The answer to that question is absolutely, yes, God cares. 
The Bible says that he has every hair on your head accounted for, even the ones you've lost. He has them all accounted for. He, he has every detail of your life. He, has a, he, has every, he cares about every detail, every aspect of your life, every moment you breathe. He's concerned about you. Look what he says. What Jesus says after he's taught them how to pray, and he tells them, now when you pray, you pray daddy. In the same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, this is what Jesus told them. Continuing on in his preaching, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Verses 31 and 32 of the same chapter. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and the Heavenly Father knows that you need them. How many of you are fathers in this room? Would you please raise your hand? If you're a father, let me ask you this question. Fathers, keep them up. Raise them up. How many of you, are, are you concerned, or would you want your kids to be concerned, worrying about what they're going to wear, and what they're going to drink, and what they're going to eat? No, you, put your hand, you're okay, put your hand. No, because you care about your kids. You don't want them worrying about those things. You know what Jesus tells them after he says this in Matthew chapter 7, still in the Sermon on the Mount, after he's told them to pray, our daddy? He says, those of us who are imperfect, how much more would the perfect father in heaven take care of your needs? How much more will he care for you? Listen to what he says over in chapter 7, verse 7 and 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, your daddy in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? I remember a woman came to me once and said, Pastor Ed, I worry so much and I know why I worry, because I don't love God enough. And I said, no, no, I don't think that's true. I think you worry because you don't believe God loves you enough. The reason we worry is because we don't really believe that God cares enough that's why we worry love casts out all fears casts it all out when you know you're loved and you're cared for you find yourself at peace because we're talking about not an earthly father here we're talking about the father in heaven who has no limits to his resources I end with this my wife when we first were married, I'm not kidding you, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. We really didn't have anything. And my wife was expected to lead worship three Sundays a month. And then one Sunday, they asked her to sing special music. And I remember I was sitting in our bedroom, and she walked in, and she was all distraught. And I said, what's wrong, honey? She says, well, I'm praying, and I feel like my prayers are so selfish. I said, what do you mean? 
She says, well, you know, I only have one dress. I, I wear the same dress every Sunday. And I've been praying to God that, God, could, I, could you somehow find a way? I just, when I get up and pray, this, sing that special number, I want to I wanna have a new dress. And then I thought, how selfish that is. I mean, there's so many big problems in the world. Why would God be concerned about whether I have a new dress? And I looked at my wife and I said, honey, wait a minute. God cares about everything about you. He's concerned about all your needs. If you could go to your earthly father and he had enough money, do you think he would buy you a dress? She said, yeah. Well, how much more will your heavenly father take care of you? I said, let's pray. Let's pray and ask God if you'll provide. So we did. That was Tuesday. Thursday, she got a phone call from a woman who was part of our church then. She's part of this church today. It was Mary Goss. Those of you that know Mary Goss, you tell her I said this, okay? I don't want to take her blessing, but you tell her. Mary Goss calls up my wife Thursday. Says, honey, I've been thinking about you all week long. <laughs> How'd that happen? How did she all of a sudden think of my wife? Because we prayed. She's thinking about my wife all week long. She says, I want to take you shopping on Saturday. Will you go with me? Tammy said yes. Saturday came. Miss Goss picked her up, went to the mall. She comes back. I'm sitting in the living room. My wife walks in, opens up the apartment. She doesn't come in with one bag. She comes in with five bags, five bags, five different dresses, all kinds of garments and accessories and all those things. She drops those bags. She comes over and she falls on me and she hugs me. And then she says this. She says, God, he cares about me. He cares about me. My prayer for you is that when we pray the, heaven, when we pray the Lord's Prayer from now on, you'll pray it like this. My daddy, my daddy extends extravagant, extravagant, extravagant grace and love and mercy to me. Because he cares for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask in the name of Jesus that those who are struggling, who are doubting or questioning whether or not you care and love them, that today that they would respond to you as their father. And know that you have your arms around them, that you will not leave them nor forsake them, and you are the father of the fatherless. If they don't know who their father is, you're their father. If they've come to know you as their Savior and Lord, then, Lord, you are their father. And if they have not asked you to be their Lord, they can this morning. But, Lord, no matter where we are and what we're doing, we would just ask that, God, that you would be all that we need and we would respond to you the way that you would want us to this week in every way. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.